I think I'm a special one. All right, we're live. Uh, episode 13. What's up, guys? What's up, Andrew? Yeah, we got this new guy in the bottom here. What's up, Chad? What's up? How you guys doing? Good. All right, so this is uh, our first episode with a guest on. This is my boy, Mike Tringali. He, uh, we played together in college, goalkeeper coach at University of Rochester right now. So excited to have our first guest on. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure to be here. Very uh, typical podcast guest intro right there. Yeah. Um, all right. So, Mike, what are you wearing? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, I got the 2018-2019 the Swansea City Away kit. Um, Very only, normal. Uh, just, just Tringali on the back. <laughs> just Tringali on the back. Uh, no number, though. Behind this um, – Behind this jersey, uh, you know, one of my ex-players um, from a, another school I worked at, Northern Illinois University, his name was Alex Welch. Uh, he's actually from Swansea. Um, and I helped him buy his, uh, his first car in the States because the boy needed one to get around. And um, his parents were so delighted and he was so grateful. I helped they, uh, they mailed me a jersey and kind of inducted me into the, the Jack family, as they called it, the top fans of, uh, uh, of the club. So That's awesome. That's like a cool, like, that's a cool story. Yeah, pr- priceless, uh, priceless memory and priceless jersey for me. I love probably, yeah, probably my favorite. I have maybe two jerseys, but yeah, yeah. it's easily taken. I know when I told you you had to wear a jersey, you're kind of scrambling, so I felt bad. Yeah, well, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't gonna go. I mean, especially with the championship playing this one, I wasn't gonna wear, you know, Gianluigi Buffon. That would have gone in a <laughs> completely different direction. Nice. All right, Chad, what are you wearing? So I don't have a jersey on right now, but uh, I'm wearing my uh, Everton, uh, well, um, Training jersey, training pullover because everything's on right now. Got it on in the background against Menu. What is it still zero zero? It's two one Menu. Oh jeez, dude! I feel like you have so many jerseys here, but at school you have like two jerseys, and you just. I, keep have, I think I've used all of them for the podcast. I need to. I need to go home and uh, trade trade all the ones I used in and get get something. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what: the people on TikTok love your Panama jersey, though. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll wear it again for another podcast. Yeah, so actually, I was going to say, well, first, I'm wearing a, I don't know what year this is, but it's a middle, Middlesbrough jersey. No name on the back or anything. Hummel brand, though. Uh, website called awaydays.com. And for $25, you get, like, a mystery kit. So basically, like, I just sign up, you put your size, and they send you, like, a mystery kit. So I got Middlesbrough. It's all right. It looks Okay. I got an Olympiacos before, and I think that one's my favorite. That's championship right. Saturday. Championship oh, yeah, Saturday. Champ- <laughs> when Everton get relegated, then it'll really be championship Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> um, so hopefully we have some new listeners because uh, – so I posted a tick, uh, soccer TikTok on my like personal account, and it, it kind of blew up a little bit. It, had, it got like – right now it's at like 23,000 likes. But the purpose of it was I talked about a topic that we talked about in the last episode, episode 12, and I tagged the podcast TikTok page, and we got a bunch of new followers on my page and the TikTok page. So hopefully, like, 
a bunch of people, a bunch of new people are listening. A lot of people said they really like the content because it's like interesting to them. So hopefully we got some new listeners too. Uh, a lot of people were really interested in the three things that we gave them. So Chad, I don't know if you remember, but we were talking about player development and stuff. And I said like three keys that I think would help me were number one was stepping out of your comfort zone, whether it's like finding a new team to challenge yourself or something like that, or just like trying to meet new people. Number two was, um, was number two confidence, right? Just like believing that you're good enough to like be where you are and play with who you're trying to play with. And number three was spending time with the ball. So whether that's like extra team training or just training on your own or just having fun with the ball, playing pickup games, like you got to get to know the ball. So those are the three things. And I think people really like appreciated that. Mm -hmm. All right. So the topics for today, uh, like I said, Mike uh, was goalkeeper at Stevenson University with me. So we'll kind of go through his journey. He's a goalkeeper coach now, grinding out through the college coaching ranks. So this should be, this should be pretty interesting. Um, so, Mike, you just want to start with, like, who you are, where you are now, but then go into, like, where you started your, your club and all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, hey, everyone. Uh, Mike Tringali, the assistant men's co uh, soccer coach at, you know, University of Rochester up in, uh, in upstate New York. Um, this is my this is my fourth year um, coaching collegially full time. Um, it's been an awesome ride, but uh, it was definitely a, a different start, I would say, to uh, to where it all began. So um, so I grew up in um, in Glenridge, New Jersey. So it's a small hey. town in uh, yeah, in Essex Jersey. County, way up north, um, in an environment where uh, you know kids, you know, especially um, young kids, grew up playing a bunch of sports and then probably specialized in one or two sports when they got to about high school age. Um, so that was kind of, you know, my, my start to it. So grew up playing a ton of sports, um, but ultimately, uh, you know, soccer and lacrosse were, were two things that really prevailed probably, you know, both culturally and based on interest. And then um, when I joined a, uh, a serious club team um, in Mastery Academy, and this was kind of like the inception of, of what is MLS Next, but what was the United States Development Academy, um, I, I joined the program as a uh, as a 14 year old, um, so that was kind of when I, I started to give up lacrosse and really pursue uh, you know soccer full time in hopings of, of playing in college. And that was really um, the big jump I would say uh, mm -hmm. to playing in like an environment where you talk about you know full time coaches, uh, players that are committed to to being there week in week out, um, you know tournaments that happen not just uh, you know within the state but but nationally as well and, and playing with some top top players all around the state and and playing guys all around the country so when you talk about uh, you know things like development there was definitely a, you know a culture set then in, in the training environment that was different to you know what you would see probably in, in your run of the mill high school program. Mike, uh, can I ask a question real quick? Yeah, absolutely. So, do you think a couple couple here? Do you think playing lacrosse and soccer? Do you think that helped you at all? Like some people say, like you get different athletic benefits from playing different sports, or do you think you would have been better just focusing on soccer? That's a really good question. So I would say it definitely helped me um, probably when you come to like things like athleticism and intangibles that you want, and also probably a fitness component as well. But I would say when we kind of get to the deeper root of things, like, you know, being a good teammate, um, increasing your, your rate of coachability and, and being exposed to, uh, 
to different levels of adversity and then problem solving. I would say having that other sport was definitely helped as well. Mm-hmm. But I mean, another nice component was all my really close friends played. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of, you know, young, young boys and girls and, you know, in our country and in the world also probably start out because they play in a team where, you know, maybe some of their closest friends are playing. Yeah. That's something um, I think like, I feel like we kind of overshadow a little bit. Like when we talk about soccer is like, a lot of people think it's just like cut through or like try and be as best as you can. But like, sometimes it's just like, just get the best experience out of it, whether it's playing lacrosse or soccer, like you're with your boys, just like playing, like it can be fun. It doesn't have to be super, super serious. That's kind of cool to hear. Yeah, of course. And I, I mean, that's a great point to even, you know, at the, at the college game now, you know, mm-hmm. we want to, we want to get results and we want to grow and we have you know, both extrinsic and intrinsic goals, but you know, at the end of the day, you're there to you know, give the guys an experience and you want yeah. them to make sure they, they still enjoy what they're doing. So another question you said you, so you went to match fit at 14 and I was in New Jersey, like playing in South Jersey, but I remember people thought of match fit, like, like way up here, like they were like really good, like especially like early stages of the DA or whatever they call Was it even the DA? Is that what they called it? I guess, yeah. At, at its infancy, this was kind of like the big inception of, of the yeah. development academy and getting more mm-hmm. on, a, on a calendar schedule and, and pulling kids almost away from the high school environment because they yeah. felt that the rate that kids could develop would be, you know, a better opportunity in this environment in comparison to that from, you know, switching back from high school to club to high school again and not having like that kind of that staggering to point in the development. So were you like, uh, were you on a, like, just like your local, was it like Glen Ridge soccer? And like, were you by far the best player? Like, was it just like, Oh, Mike's incredible. Let's get him on this better team. Or how was that? So, um, so I played on, uh, yeah, on a travel, on a travel club, probably just locally. It was like, you know, like the, you know, Glen Ridge soccer team. Um, and then I went to try out, um, at 13 for a kind of a, a small, a smaller club that was probably a little bit more regional in, in mm-hmm. uh, soccer domain FC. It was SDFC at the time. Um, and I, you know, I just was recommended by a coach and, and had, you know, a really wonderful trial. And, and I think what helped as well as all the guys on the current team, you know, really took a liking to me. So mm-hmm. when it came time to advocate for a new player, they, uh, they let me on, but then what actually happened was, we were a smaller club that was overperforming so well. Um, yeah, that's awesome. the, the, yeah. In the games and the competitions we were playing that when Matchfit kind of went through their process of increasing their pool of players, they, they absorbed our team um, into the oh, club wow. for its age group and then kind of added players on that. Um, wow, so I wasn't crazy. planning really to, uh, to like be at Matchfit, but when mm-hmm. like the opportunity came across for us to go, I think every player and parent unanimously was like, this is what we want for, for our son. So they were just like, this is like one of the better teams in the area. Let's just kind of like take them on as like a base and then we'll build the pool from there. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a story you probably hear a little bit more often now with clubs. I mean, I, I probably didn't realize, um, you know, when I got to, when I got to coaching in college that there's also recruitment that happens from, from club to club with the new soccer kids will get sucked up and pulled somewhere else and maybe it's best for the kid or best for the team but that's something I've probably taken more of a notice of in the last few years that would honestly be an interesting topic for like another podcast like we talked about a couple weeks ago like recruiting like club teams recruiting players from other club teams yeah um and so that was a really interesting point but yeah I mean so from, from there uh 
you know, it, it was a great experience, I think, for me and all the guys, not just from, from fostering new relationships that were out of, you know, my hometown, mm-hmm. um, but also, uh, you know, the training environment. So you're training, you know, four times a week, um, you know, sometimes goalkeeping specific training as well. So you're nearly training every day and you're, you're having games on the weekend. So there is no shortage of, of opportunities to play, of reps. Um, so really had a great experience. And I even still you know, communicate with some of those guys today because I think a, a, a good amount of us all want to, you know, go and play in college and we can have, you know, similar experiences and That's we both cool. kind of so have a similar beginning. Was your, uh, like, transition to play at that high level, like, one, where you were you at that level? Like, was it, was it hard for you to adapt? And two, did you, like, kind of, like, burn out? Or was it, like, wow, this is, like, too, like soccer overload? <laughs> so... I, it was definitely, uh, you know, from a schedule standpoint, and we talk about, of course, like having a balance at that age. So you mm-hmm. want to do well academically and socially, but also, you know, in your passion. So it was definitely, a, you know, I think at first I took a decent bit. I took probably a hit in the classroom. You know, you're getting out at uh, – That stuff doesn't matter. Who cares? Class. Yeah, you're, you're, you're getting out of class at maybe uh, – you know, right as the bell ends and you're running down to, to the car and, you know, mom's packed a turkey sandwich so you can, you know, drive, you know, an hour and a half to the, you know, the training setup and yeah, that happened quite a bit. But um, I would say in terms of my play, uh, I think I always had a good set of athleticism. Mm-hmm. Um, I was probably a little bit more raw. Uh, I wouldn't say technically, but uh, like just developing a soccer IQ and my speed mm-hmm. of play. I think definitely, you know, developing a better understanding of, you know, where to use the ball with my feet and, and organize, you know, the people in front of me was something that maybe didn't come naturally. I was probably, you know, I could make, you know, a really good save and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, be decisive in that sense. But I think like just developing a, a broader soccer education was probably the most helpful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like we talked about it before on this podcast, like exposing yourself to a higher level, even if like you play, you don't play, you just train, like you ride the bench, like, those little things like actually like make a difference. You know what I mean? Being yeah. around better players, you kind of see like what they do or like what makes them good in certain drills or certain settings. And it's actually like really helpful. So absolutely, like, you getting exposed to that at a young age, like especially with goalkeepers, because like you watch the goalkeeper coach or the other goalkeepers and you pick up on things like that. So yeah. did they uh, like, is that where you got recruited uh, to play in college, like from match fit? Yeah, so I think one thing that, uh, you know, not just the, the players, but the parents ended up appreciating about the club is it was, uh, it was really focused on making sure they didn't just place kids um, mm-hmm. at the best programs they could, but the program that was ultimately a best fit for the player. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there's other factors that go into it as well. But yeah, the, um, the, the amount of, you know, high level games and, and tournaments we were playing and ultimately increased our exposure and you know, you end up now playing at events where, where coaches are, are watching and in a good amount. So you don't just have to, you know, attend camps throughout a summer or, or reach out to coaches. At this point, they're kind of reaching out to you and, and it helps the whole process so you can ultimately, you know, have your pick of schools and, and, and make the best decision. So they were really great on, on that front of, of helping pair kids up with schools and getting them in touch with coaches too. Yeah, that's cool. And especially like at that high of a level, like there isn't a whole lot of like club or academy to pro yet that setup's not there especially right, yeah there's no unless you're like ridiculous and you're going from like academy to mls reserves there's no usl there's no like uh usl league one or that kind of stuff so then it's pretty natural path to go to college like what was uh 
being like from a big club, were there interests from like bigger colleges or were you always like, like Stevenson was pretty small. So were you looking like, yeah, like that? Uh, that that's a great question. So, I mean, there was interest from, from bigger institutions, but I think it would probably get to a point, the bigger the institution got, the more I was recruiting them than they were recruiting me. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there was interest from like a bigger school, they probably weren't looking at me to have necessarily an immediate impact on the field coming in as a first year student. Um, mm-hmm. So you kind of like sit through that as well and see where you think you're going to, you know, not only you know, be able to play, but also probably have the most value uh, within a team. But yeah, I mean, like, like you said, Kat, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, we're talking about kind of the infancy of the development academy at this point, there weren't a whole lot of guys like we see now signing homegrown yeah. contracts and, mm-hmm. and going abroad, you know, the, the prominent goal. So at this point for top level players was to, you know, to go to college and you yeah. know, to get a scholarship if they could. Mm-hmm. So that's a great point as well. So um, you went to, so obviously you end up going to Stevenson, same place that I went. You were one year older than me. So you were a high school class of, uh, what was it? 2013. Yep. 2013. So like g- go through the college experience. Cause like, I always talk about how I didn't play a lot or get like consistent minutes a lot till my senior year of college. And I just think I was like a late bloomer in soccer. Like some things clicked late. I was always like kind of training on my own. And like, it finally like started to click towards the end. Like what was your development like as a goalie? And especially like in in college, it's so results driven that like they're going to play the older guy or the guy they trust more. And like, they might not be a better goalkeeper, you know, yeah, so, um, you know, coming in as a, as a freshman, um, there were maybe six other goalkeepers, and this was uh, a byproduct of, I think, the, the, the goalkeeping group they had last year had significantly underperformed, you know, hence my recruitment and the recruitment of a few others <laughs> as well. So right away, I, I relished that challenge because, uh, you know, always traditionally I was, I was the number one, um, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was playing in high school or, or playing with match fit, uh, you know, so it was definitely a, a different scenario to place yourself in where, you know, the competition is a little more ruthless. You're not always going to be the first guy. So your, your training mentality definitely develops from the sense mm-hmm. of not just competing with others, but being the best you can be every day. So, um, you know, I came in and uh, I, I probably had my most exponential period of growth in that first year because mm-hmm. one thing that I certainly had a uh, – a, a tough time with in the beginning was um, was the physicality of the game. So you you know you come into an environment now where guys have not only been playing three or four years longer than you have, but they've also been lifting during that time. So <laughs> yeah, I was probably runner, yeah. yeah this this string bean that could you know make a brilliant save, but uh, you know you asked me to come claim a cross, and I was probably getting you know knocked to the ground you know with an instant. So one of the things that was probably a big focus for me and, and, uh, you know, the goalkeeping coach was Mike Rackliff, who we still have a great relationship today, um, was just making sure I was getting comfortable with contact. Mm-hmm. Um, so the great thing about that because of his availability and, you know, when you have that many keepers, you can make a, you know, a bigger, more game realistic session was, mm-hmm. you know, the ball goes in the air Mike goes to claim it. You give guys specific instructions, you know, you knock them over. Um, and we'll do it again and again. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, that was something that always kind of, you know, will stick with me because it was kind of like, you know, embrace the the challenge. And also, you know, Mm -hmm. you got to grow up a little bit, you Mm -hmm. know, mom and dad are far away from home, you know, at this point it's it's sink or swim and and get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. That's what, like, I feel like a lot of people miss about like, they they think college soccer is just like 
no matter what college, like, oh, it's bad soccer or like they miss development. But like, there's a lot of other development going on too. Like you said, like you're away from home, you're doing things on your own. And like, you're with a bunch of players that like might not play like you or might be bigger or smaller than you or whatever. And like, you have to fit in, like you got to make it work. So like you figuring out how to make it work on the fly is like pretty important. Yeah. And, and, and you brought up such a great point there. Like, yeah, I was, I grew up in, you know, Glen Ridge all my life, you know, from birth to 18 years of age. And then, you know, you're going four hours away from home and it may not be too far, but you know, there are some things, you know, you go down the road and, and, mm -hmm. uh, in, in life and you know people live a little bit differently or you run into yeah. someone else that has a different background so those were definitely cool components as well but that first year was probably yeah the biggest year of uh mm -hmm. of, of growth I had um and also I, I maybe played in about three or four games um so you started to develop as well that that idea of and and this was something you know uh, coach Racket would say is you know you're one play away um, yeah. so, which meant that if you're not the, you know, the starter right now, you, you at least mentally have to be prepared for whatever might happen during the game. So if you're called upon, you're, you're ready to go. And I know that's something we see, you know, a lot of people talk about today in terms of mentality yeah. too. So your freshman year, that was, so that was my senior year of high school. And that was when I was being recruited to play at Stevenson. So I ended up going like a few games to channel, you know, watch college soccer. I didn't know much about it. And like, like you kind of talked about, it, it was kind of like a goalkeeping carousel, like just a bunch of guys in and out. So like, were you, how often were you called upon? Were you like close to being a consistent starter? Like, is that yes. bad for goalkeepers? Like, is it awkward, you know? No. So um, I think at that point I was probably also still adjusting to college life. Mm -hmm. um, so just getting out to training every day was like an added bonus. Yeah. Um, at that point, you know, we'd have a goalkeeping specific session in the afternoon that was, uh, you know, after you got done with class for an hour and then we joined with the rest of the team. So like that three hour block was like the best part of my day awesome, because man. you knew that you were going to get, you know, reps mm. in before the, the rest of the session when you were kind of rotating. And, and also uh, it was just a great way to kind of cap off your day. But I would say um, I was probably consistently in that time. I switched between being like the number two and the number three mm -hmm. uh, most times number three but you know there were definitely instances I think where uh, if there was an opportunity to bring me on um, and help me get minutes I think uh, you know Coach Plaviak definitely wanted to do that yeah. um, I remember uh, probably one of my more rude awakenings into college soccer was we were playing uh, we were playing Messiah <laughs> who at that point had I think just come off winning the national championship and they were going to do so again um, and they were one of the best teams I'd, I'd ever seen yeah. um, my entire life. And we went there to their, to their stadium when they were honoring one of their old coaches and there were probably 3000 fans there. I didn't even know that that number existed yeah. for attendance in division three. And we go there and it's pouring rain. Um, and I think we were maybe losing like three nil uh, in the first half. And I played the whole, the whole second half oh, um, wow. and didn't concede a goal. Nice. Um, they actually made some pretty big saves, but the thing was, it was pouring rain. Mm -hmm. uh, so my shirt was just drenched. Dripping <laughs> I had like this, this smock of a kit um, <laughs> at the end of the game. But I remember that was like my rude awakening in, into college soccer because the game was, you don't realize how fast it is sometimes yeah. until you step on. That's um, the, uh, the infamous diesel red card game. That's the infamous, yes, the Pond <laughs> diesel red card. Uh, after that, we, we had no chance. Um, so, but like, that's, the, like I've noticed that too like being subbed on in any game is kind of crazy but especially when you're like either not a regular starter not a regular player one of the younger guys or something and you sub onto a game and you're like holy crap this is like so fast 
Yeah, I mean, Crazy. and especially some of like the unfair points. I mean, I could think of it, you know, Chad, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, uh, you know, a goalkeeper gets sent off and gives away a penalty. And the other guy comes on real quick. And his first play of the game is he either has to make like uh, <laughs> the, the most important save in the game or, or he concedes a goal with his first uh, with his first stint on the field. So, yeah, for, for different players in different positions, it can definitely be like, you know, a rude awakening for sure. So that was – so that's like your freshman year. You're pretty uh, – Chad's awake. Um, can you hear us, Chad? Yeah, I can hear it. No, seriously, it was kind of going in and out a little bit. So um, so that's like your your freshman year. Um, going through college, did you, did you play for – like did you put in a lot of extra work in the summer or any summer teams? Like how – take us through like the next few years. So, uh, you know, the great thing about, uh, you know, the size of the club that matched it as well was when we all, you know, came back home for the summer, there was enough of us to have, you know, kind of a summer team. Oh, that's cool. um, and, you know, we play against some, some other under 23 opponents, uh, you know, pretty informally. We probably had our own workout packets from school we were following throughout yeah. the summer and, you know, doing what, what college kids do as well. You, you take the opportunity as well to I mean, Alex Jersey's guys go to the beach and, and see people you hadn't seen before. But I think uh, it definitely ticked up uh, my uh, my junior year um, of school and going into my senior year. I uh, I trained and and was kind of a reserve keeper with uh, you know the Jersey Express, who you know it's a defunct club now, but they were in the PDL. Mm-hmm. Um, and these were guys that were you know playing in the Big East or um, you know playing in the A10. Um, and they were they were really prominent players. Uh, and the training environment, although it was the summer, you know, the, these guys did not take a second off. And we had great experiences, not just playing local competition, but also playing in the Open Cup, um, going and playing teams like uh, like New York Cosmos. Yeah, and awesome. although, you know, you, you talk about things like some of the experiences you can get from not just playing on the field, maybe just in training. But I, I played with a – I was understudied to a guy named David Grechek, who uh, – he uh, he was drafted his his senior year to uh, to Sporting KC, and uh, you know he was probably one of the best players that when you talk about a goalkeeper I ever played with. So just taking intangible things from watching him in training, watching him in games, I think were things that probably helped me so far like down the road, and especially in that that last year of, of college as well. That's cool. We talked. Uh, it might have been one of the first episodes about like mine and Chad's like soccer journey. And I talked about how like I spent like a summer just like kind of training with the PDL team and like didn't really get on the field, play like a few friendlies, but like being like, it's such like a different environment because you got all these like good college players. A lot of them are, are foreigners too. They're not like local kids. And like, you just kind of put them on a team, put them on a field and like let them play. And the season comes so quick. Like you're kind of learning on the fly, like what these guys do. And it's just like a different experience that I think helps, especially yeah. as a goalkeeper too. Like, you're probably like playing with better competition. You're facing like harder shots, like better training, like all that stuff. Yeah. The, the cues are different. I think what you realize as well as a, as a goalkeeper when you go through the levels is, you know, forwards, you know, the higher level, they, they get a little bit smarter and yeah. they might be, be reading you, you know, in the goal mouth as much as you're trying to read them. So yeah. that was definitely something I, I picked up, but it's amazing that, uh, you know, especially in teams like that, you have, guys like within the same group but they all might have different goals so some guys on that team were actually and i'm sure for that 
that team you played on as well, Cat. Uh, you know, some guys are looking to get pro contracts. Yeah. Some guys are looking to stay fit for college, and then some guys are really just trying to, you know, have a different experience. So it's great you kind of mesh all those things together in, in one team. Yeah. There's like PDL, not as much as NPSL now, but like, it's like you said, there's dudes like going back to college who might be really good, but just finished like their freshman year at a big at a big school. There might be like a senior or a junior who's like done with college and all they want to do is get signed or get drafted or whatever. Then there's like an older guy maybe who's literally just trying to keep the dream alive. Like this might be his last opportunity to like get a contract or something like that. So you have all those things and like dudes are getting stuck in and training or like going hard in games. It's, it's pretty cool. Like it's a cool experience. Yeah. And I think for guys like you and me, we, we rush that because then it's like you go back to, you know, the college environment or, you know, who cares if it's a step over or a step down, but you take those things back and, you know, it helps you kind of reinforce the, the play and, and make sure guys are, are following, you know, what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. So after that, you said that was going into your, what, junior year? Yeah. So, uh, you know, a bit of my, jun- my junior year and then kind of uh, – this is actually an interesting point. Uh, you know, in the summer of my, my senior year, I played in a, what was called a, you know, a semi-professional club in Baltimore, but I had, you know, I didn't even play um, in the first game because I had a, a traumatic, uh, had a neck injury. Um, oh, I kind of snapped yeah. the, uh, the, the, the C3 in, in my spine, you know, in my cervical spine. So I basically spent the whole summer um, in bed rehabilitating, you know, I could barely move all the, the gains I'd probably made and in, mm-hmm. in the weight room and on the field in the spring, I'd completely lost all of them. It was really debilitating. Mm-hmm. Um, but what would happen, and you remember this is in July, we got a new coach. Yeah. Um, and I knew straight away being, you know, probably one of two seniors on the team that I, I probably needed to get healthy and get fit more than anything. I couldn't just forego a year, um, you know, not just from being a presence on the field, but also in, uh, in the locker room. Yeah. Um, so I devoted the end point of that summer and, and thank goodness for, for Carrie Foreman, our old yeah. uh, athletic trainer. She actually helped, um, helped me rehabilitate in a way that I could get back on the field safely and, you know, regain some of my strength. So I, I think you probably remember I, I missed, I think the entire preseason, but I was ready to go for that first game. And that was the most important thing for me, not just like as a captain, but, you know, as a teammate. I remember like our first few years with, the, the first coach that we had, like there'd be off seasons where we didn't really do much. It wasn't much of a team. Like guys lived off, lived off campus, like nothing was really enforced. And then like, we knew we were getting a new coach and like, finally some dudes like started taking it seriously. Like, uh, so we, we, we actually did a lot of lifting and like working out with MC, our, our strength coach and coach Q and all them. So I remember like we would be in the weight room and you, you were literally the only senior there. And it was us guys, the sophomores, that, like, made up the bulk of the people there and a few freshmen. Yeah. Like, you get hurt, and then that kind of – not that it takes away all your gains, but you lose, like, all your momentum going in. Yeah. You're still, like, one of the only older guys on the team. Like, it was – Yeah. I, I think that was, you know, definitely frustrating you know, when, I, when I looked back on it because so much of it was, was out of my control. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, I, I didn't know as, as, a, as a freshman that uh, – you know, there were guys that were simply going to, you know, fall out of love with the game or take an interest in other things and, and pursue mm-hmm. other, other, other parts of their lives. Um, but I think when that opportunity kind of came across to step up and be, you know, probably a more prominent guy, you know, both in the locker room and on the field, I, you know, I didn't question it because um, I knew that's, that's kind of what the team needed because, you know, we, we were so young at, at that point and, 
Mm-hmm. You know, the, the program is something that's timeless. I mean, you and I will, will go through our spells there and, and yeah. move on and so will coaches, but the program always, you know, remains, mm-hmm. you know, what it is. So yeah, it was, it, it got pretty, uh, pretty rough there for a little bit, but like, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's one of the things I think about a lot is like, there could be a good player and like you can recruit them and whatever, but like, if you just recruit guys who just like love the game and like live it and like, that's what they do. Like you're going to be okay. But a lot of those guys that came to Stevenson, like maybe it was the school itself or maybe they just didn't love the game. It just, they just didn't stick with it all four years. And like, that could be a problem that the coach or someone running the program, that, that could be their fault. It could just be recruiting their own guys. It could just be like a fluke thing, but like it happened in your class, happened in my class or a lot of guys come in, maybe they don't see success right away. They just kind of quit. Right. And then it, it leaves you as like the only senior basically. Yeah. And I think you bring up like a good point there. And I mean, Chad, you can correct me kind of if I'm wrong, especially in your environment now at Immaculata, but I think there's a, there's something that happens sometimes in like the development of players and especially young men, you know, you kind of start to get that arrogance, like I'm the guy. So I think, you know, we talk about this a little bit at U of R there's, there's good talent and there's, there's good players. Um, so, you know, when you have a, t- a talent that's constantly being told, you know, how good he or he or she is, and now they kind of have this thing set in stone that they are, you know, good enough. They don't necessarily have to improve. Um, you know, they are where they are, you know, just based on, on them alone. You kind of get, you know, people that are complacent and, uh, you know, maybe some things related to character that not just destabilize their development, but, but the rest of the team. Um, so I feel like – and and Chad, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you see these guys kind of come through and I'm sure in your environment now, um, you probably, you know, have come across some of these guys quite a bit because it, you know, it can happen in any team. Yeah, def- definitely happens in our team. People get, uh, come in, get complacent. I feel like college soccer is kind of like that way where a lot of guys will come in and then fade out. Like they won't make it to their senior year. I don't know why it's like that, you know, Chad, I honestly think you guys, you, sorry, you guys done like your program, Macalotta, like you guys have a good rate of like guys coming in as freshmen and finishing as seniors. Maybe they don't improve, but like they finish at Stevenson. We had so many guys that would come in and just not finish, but I feel like it's just a different school though. Yeah. But like this got those guys, but you guys, you guys had so many. <laughs> I don't know why, but yeah. I think like Chad, you, you brought up a good point. Cause like a guy will, He'll finish a season and he'll be like, yeah, man, like we're going to kill it next season. And then they just like sit on the couch for like five or six months and then don't do anything. Like you don't, you don't get better like that. You don't live and breathe the game like that. Just like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's, a, that's a big part of, I, I guess, of recruitment too. being on the other side of it now is, um, yeah. you know, when you get to some of these, these, these college programs, big or small, you know, everyone is a captain of their high school team or yeah. has some sort of all conference recognition or, or played on a decent club. So, you know, everyone thinks like they're the guy will, you know, wake up, you know, there's a locker room full of those guys now. So, yeah. you know, how are you going to distinguish yourself and, and, uh, you know, set yourself apart from the others? Well, you know, for starters, it's going to be your, your work ethic. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, that was, that's, that was disappointing to see, but, you know, I think nonetheless, uh, you know, I know, um, you know, in, in your junior year, uh, Kat and my senior year, we, we probably didn't win as many games as we wanted to, but you talk about things from like a personal perspective, um, to be so, you know, injured and, and out of, uh, and out of shape, you know, during this, 
the summer due to my injury, the fact that I could come back and play every minute, Mm -hmm. um, you know, individually for that team, that was a massive victory. So when, um, after that year, I felt no need to to play onward in in any sort of capacity. I really felt like I I left it all out there. So like before um, we get to that, like just on your senior year, so you played every minute, which is kind of crazy to think about. Uh, (laughs) Were you like, do you think, do you think you were rusty or like, did you, do you think you like kind of gave it your, obviously you gave it your best effort, but like, were you at your best? Cause you still had like a ridiculous season and like, we weren't that good and we would have been like much worse without, without you in goal. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, and even in the pro games this season, I think when the goalkeeper is winning player of the season, you know, there might be some things on the team that have to be fixed. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing for me, uh, at least, and what I was able to kind of work on in the summer, if anything, was, you know, my mentality. Um, so when I came back, I feel like that kind of reinforced everything, like the muscle memory and, and the strengths of my game. I think I just came back and overall a calmer player. Yeah. Um, so the, the last thing I ever wanted to do, especially in a young team being in the goal, was transmit anxiety to anyone on the field or in the locker room. So I think I wanted you guys to look back at me no matter what the scoreline of the game was and just see that I was you know ready for the next play. And I think, um, I think, yeah, at that point, it, I was, I was surprised with myself, uh, the level of form uh, that I kind of came back into. Cause like there was really no preparation. It was just kind of thrown back into the fire, but it was something I was definitely like proud of doing. And, uh, and it was definitely you know, rewarding at that point. At the yeah, end, And that was like, like, so we lost, so we only won a few games and we got beat up in a few. Right. But like, there was also some close games with some good teams. So it wasn't like we were like, it was hit or miss sometimes, but like, it wasn't like we were not competitive in a lot of those games. Like we, we fought and like part of that's cause you had to make a lot of saves, but that was a fun year. Like even if you're losing, like you could still get something out of it. Yeah. I think like one thing is results and, and one thing is, is the growth. And I think, you know, hopefully by the end of the year, we saw growth in guys and in the program that probably wasn't there to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think comparatively as well, when, when the recruitment is down and I think the difficulty of your schedule is going up, you're kind of at two entities that are working against each other. But I think great for us to go ahead and play really, really prominent programs and see where we match up um, throughout that whole year was good. But I mean, yeah, there were points where we were maybe starting, you know, five or six freshmen, um, And even just for me that year, I remember thinking like, I thought I was in like really good. So kind of like the opposite for you, because you had to like rehab the whole summer. I was like in really good shape, like ready to go. And like, it just didn't work out. I just didn't play well. I was like not confident. But then that helped like spring me to have like a better senior year because I was, I learned from that. I knew like it wasn't just about being in good shape and whatever. I had to be like really sharp, really like on it mentally and like go challenge myself. Yeah. I think at that point we, uh, I just the last like you and I probably, you know, at that point, we're probably, you know, about 20, 21 years old. We're probably reflecting more on the games that we had in more mature ways too. So I think that helped us too. And, and being able to kind of confide in you was like a big part of not getting so frustrated with, with maybe what was going on on the field at times. I think we were, we both like thought the game at like a a pretty high level. And I think we were both able to like, kind of look at it a different way rather than like the way some other guys thought about it so being like one like basically the only senior right there was a few guys that were in and out uh being like one of the leaders and whatever did you did you know you wanted to 
get into coaching and like, what were you doing your senior year to like set yourself up for that? <laughs> so I, I think as a senior, I, I kind of knew that I wanted to still be involved with the game mm. at a really high capacity. Uh, I thought coaching at that point was the best way to do that. And the best way to also kind of give back. I mean, uh, you know, soccer through the years had given me so much more than I ever imagined it would. And it still mm. continues to do so. Um, so at that point, I, I thought that was the route in our coach. And, you know, Andrew Bordelon was a big, um, was a big part of that process because you talk about an older player at the end of his career, a young coach kind of at the beginning of his. Yeah. Um, there's, there's things to learn from each other. So, um, you know, he would, you know, pull me into the office, you know, consistently throughout the week and show me film and help me watch it in a certain way. And we would, you know, analyze opposition and, and talk about my own game. And um, I think it kind of not only helped me reconnect my position with the rest of the team, but also kind of allowed me to see from, from like a tactical perspective, how, you know, things can go right and wrong in, in the, in the, in the moment. So this um, was during the season, during your senior yeah, season. So this was, you know, a, more or less during that fall. And then it kind of happened a little bit afterwards um, in the winter and the spring. But at that point, as soon as we had finished um, that, that season in, uh, in the fall of 2012, I immediately started doing, you know, my coursework for, for some of my licenses. Um, so, uh, so at that point, I had, uh, you know, I'd saved up a little bit of money and I, I went out to Colorado and I did my, uh, my advanced national goalkeeping diploma with, um, with the, it was the NSCAA at that time, what is now United Soccer Coaches. Mm. Um, so, you know, just placing myself in an environment where you talk about, you know, prominent college coaches, MLS coaches, you know, director coaches, you know, people yeah. of different backgrounds, you know, just a young guy amongst a lot of uh, <laughs> what I considered adults at that time. So, mm. you know, that was, that was great as well. Um, and then, you know, just also kind of, uh, you know, getting around the area and hoping out, helping out locally. So I started, you know, being part of a, a goalkeeping setup in a few towns over from where we were in Owings Mills in uh, mm -hmm. Carroll County, Maryland, just doing camps and helping out with youth and taking my, you know, maybe recent experience as a player to help yeah. theirs. Mm -hmm. um, so That's, these were all cool things that I, that I kind of embarked on afterwards. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of cool because like we started coaching at like a uh, different, like, points in our career and whatever but like I kind of like experienced the same thing now that you phrase it that way like when I was playing I, I wanted something else out of the game and I thought like you know I'll play as long as I could whatever as long as it like worked out so I had like I played a little bit after college but like when you used to talk about like um like coaching a few towns over and just like doing like little camps and stuff like that I kind of did that too just like locally here or when I was with the Fury, they like hooked you up with a coaching job. So I did that like once a week or whatever. And like, it kind of just like you, you get your foot in the door, you kind of learn a little bit, you kind of understand like what coaching is. And it's like kind of different than what, what we thought, you know, but um, so if, you, if you're talking with coach Bordelon, like during the season, do you think that helped your game on the field? Yeah, I, I would say a hundred percent, man. I mean, there were things that he was showing me, like even little details that I probably would have never learned. And I'm happy I, I learned them when I did so I could pass, <coughs> pass on the knowledge. But um, yeah, it was even things like, like small things like where you, you know, place the ball on a goal kick to give yourself equal opportunity to, you know, distribute in both directions. Um, you know, cheating the look higher up the field and seeing, you know, where, you know, high, low and and middle blocks were to see if you could, you know, play through beyond or, or yeah. over certain lines of pressure. So, I mean, things like that, I think were, were immense for me, um, you know, organizing things in certain ways. So maybe you don't even have to make a save. 
Yeah. Um, so the, we're talking about really, really profound things here. And I think also he just gave me a good idea of, um, of the work that goes into it. Cause I kind of started to see the amount that him and, and Jack Mathis, the other assistant would, mm-hmm. would prepare a training session. Mm-hmm. Oh, snap, you know, uh, opposition scouting. So there's so much work that goes done behind the scenes with that. You good? I think you froze up for a sec, but we're good now. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's cool. Cause like, um, I started doing that a little bit too, but like, I didn't really get into coaching until like the very end of my playing. But then when I finished playing and I got more into coaching, I started like learning a lot more. I feel like it made me a better player. Like I talk about it, like I'm not as sharp as I was or like as in as good a shape, but if I stepped on the field right now and really gave it a hundred percent, like I feel like I'd be a much better player. Like I, so... remember, uh, remember me telling you how I was going to play for that Atlantic city team in the U S open cup. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Uh, I went to like a few practices and like a scrimmage and I was like, Holy crap. I feel like I, I think the game at such a better, at such a higher level. And like, I can communicate it to like whoever I'm playing with. So that, that's such a benefit that you got to do that while still playing in college and like trying to implement that in games and practices during your senior year. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's a funny point. Like uh, I think sometimes I would just, you know, hop into a session with, with some of my, my college guys. Yeah. And, you know, although I probably wasn't as quick or limber as I was a few years back, like I think like my positioning and just, you know, my level of anticipation of knowing the flows of the game, where the ball was going to yeah. go, I was probably a lot, you know, more intelligent of a player. Dude, the flow of the game, which you just said is so, is so right. It's not so much like one or two moments, but you understand like the flow of it so much better. Yeah, I, I think like seeing like four or five, six steps ahead now was like, yeah. oh, wow, well, this is what it's supposed to look like. Yeah, and um, then you start – I think I could start recognizing where I went right and wrong in my career or who was a good coach, who was a bad coach, like what they were trying to do. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, it, if you're able to have a, a slew of phenomenal coaches throughout your whole development, then great. You know, yeah, yeah. kudos to you, but I think – and, you know, as you get older, you kind of, you know, start to reflect and look back on, um, you know, maybe things that, you know, didn't make a whole lot of sense or, you know, maybe yeah. their intent was the right way, but it probably wasn't delivered or executed the way they felt. So it's, it's, it's great to see those things now and kind of, you know, compare and contrast different styles and, and yeah. people too. Because now I feel like, um, like when we were players, we just kind of did what the coach told us to do in training, right? But now I, I watch a training session or like, if, if I go back and like play in a training session, I'm like, Oh, that's a, that's a great way to like transition, like great couple drills in a row or great sequence or a great training session. Like you, you evaluate it now in your head, but when yeah. we were players, we just kind of did whatever the coach told us to do. And most of the time it made no sense. Like, I know, <laughs> I, think, I know what sessions you're thinking of too, man. Uh, no, I'm, I'm sure you do. I mean, I think we probably think more now of the why and not just yeah. like, we're doing this because this is what's instructed. Some people just take a bunch of things, throw it out there and let you go do it. It's like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Oh so, my God. Yeah. That's yeah. I'm sure as a player now, Chad, you're still probably like, why are we doing this right now? But you have to do it. Yeah. I get, I get that sometimes, but you guys probably understand better now. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Um, so you run through like your um, 
coaching, like how you started, like what you thought you were going to do, how you started coaching pretty quick. And then I have like a few questions to ask you about that. So, I mean, not a lot of people probably know is, I guess, better place to say it than ever. But I honestly thought after, you know, finishing up my degree, I was going to go back up to Jersey and go to Manhattan and, you know, get a big kid job. And it would just be something I did on the side, mm-hmm. um, you know, just kind of the love of it and, and see where it took me. But um, I got a phone call um, after, you know, spending that time in Carroll County. And this is going on into the, the summer of 2017. And uh, there was a college down the street from us, Goucher College, a small college in Towson that, you know, they needed an assistant, you know, a guy to help out, you know, throughout the entire season and, and to help the head coach. So I, I went over there and just told them, you know, kind of their head coach, Brian Lott, um, you know, what I was about and, and what I was looking to do. And, you know, it paid very little money. But at that point, you know, you're, you're 22 and you, you have a car and, you, you know, you don't have any debt. So you're like, all right, let's go the experience route and, yeah. and see where this gets us. So it kind of just threw me right into it. You know, I'm, now I'm like, you know, running, running sessions with the help of, of a head coach, um, scouting opposition, you know, you're recruiting around the state, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're doing the logistical work that goes until, you know, like team travel and, and things like that. So that really, really, um, you know, like you talk about growth as a player, like in your first environment, like my growth as a coach in my first environment was yeah. in a college environment that was, was pretty immense. And I think, uh, I think that guys kind of took a liking to me as well right away because being a younger guy and, and yeah. having some some tangible experience was was really uh, was really nice at that point. Mm-hmm. So do you think um, as a coach, so soccer wise, do you think at Goucher you you grew a lot, or do you think it was more like on the admin organization, like getting that stuff right? Yeah, I would say probably probably all of the above. I was uh, you know. I, I think I did sometimes, I did think sometimes with the right intention, but maybe not realizing that there was maybe a better outlet to go. Um, I think if you ask me now, like kind of the confines and my theory of, of what goes into a session, it's probably way more refined now than it was then. But I was basically at that point, this young, you know, enthusiastic guy, uh, you know, that just wants to help the group. And I think um, I was just prepared to do, especially for a guy like that, Brian, that gave me such a wonderful opportunity. I mean, I would have, ran through a brick wall for him if he told me that that was the best thing to do next I mean he was uh, a really really good mentor and you know we still have conversations today but he kind of started the path to showing me that in certain teams there's there's things that you want to do but there's Mm -hmm. so many things that you can do based on the level based on the players you have based on the opposition you're playing Mm -hmm. Um, so that was a real big awakening and so I'm sure a lot of teams want to do things that they're probably restricted to do for for whatever reason that is I'm I'm learning that too with coach in high school like we're lucky we have a really good team but there's things you want to do and then there's things that like maybe the schedule doesn't allow for that or the how much you can train or like that kind of stuff too and like yeah. college you get budget recruiting like all that stuff and that's a lot yeah like we'd love to see immaculata connecting 26 passes in <laughs> in their own third and, and going down the field and, and scoring it you know what looks like a, an easy goal but you know, it, it doesn't always happen like that. Maybe if their center midfielder just made a late run into the box once in a while. Yeah, I think it's from I've Michael Bradley. Something. <laughs> the ball always finds its way to the top of the box, and nobody's there. Yeah, come on, Chad. I'll get it together. <laughs> I'll get it together. All right. So, uh, so after I remember, I was my senior year. You were still coaching at Goucher. Uh, I was sitting there playing Fortnite in the morning and you call me and you're like, 
you're like, Hey, I got this opportunity to go uh, be an assistant at like division one school. I was like, Oh, that's sick. And then we were talking about it. So like talk, talk through that. And like how you left Goucher and what that was about. I remember playing. Uh, I wasn't any good at it, but. (laughs) So yeah, like the big thing next was, uh, you know, an opportunity came down to, and this is a, you know, a big, you know, point for anyone, you, you never know who's watching, you know, yeah. do as best you can and do a good job in whatever you're doing. Cause someone will definitely take notice. And, uh, you know, Brian's best friend, um, was the head coach at Virginia military Institute, which was a small, uh, you know, constantly rebuilding division one program in Lexington, Virginia. Um, and they, they, they wanted another assistant and someone with more of a goalkeeping background and a young guy once again, but that was kind of my big awakening into, you know, you're either gonna, you're either gonna, coach in a different capacity or this is kind of your your ticket into you know like full-time college coaching yeah um so almost like a sink or swim moment at that point but it was also the first time in my life I think I I had been in Baltimore at, at that time for for five years um so it was the only other place I'd lived before yeah. so it was also going to be a bit of a culture shock as well but I think um you know so ultimately you know I ended up interviewing well and, and getting the position and you know the next thing I knew I was throwing everything in my car and and going down to Lexington, Virginia. So, you know, you talk about things like, like, uh, you know, adapting to the soccer, but I would, I think I was just adapting at that point to just living in what seemed like a different world. Um, so so, you think the division one was the, was the soccer challenge or was the like recruiting restrictions or like the, just the intensity of division one. So I think I realized at that point, um, you know, we talked, you know, a few seconds ago about the things you want to do and the things you can. Well, you know, VMI was a place where you could probably not do more things than, than you could. There are probably more restrictions. I mean, you're, you're talking about an institution that probably had maybe three and a half scholarships competing against programs that had 9.9. So, you know, week in, week out, you're bringing a knife to uh, a gunfight. Uh, and, you know, and in certain, you know, pillars of of intercollegiate athletics, you have the academics, then you have the soccer. Well, at VMI, you have the athletics, excuse me, the academics, that is firstly, then you have the military component, and then you have athletics. So you go from playing in school where, you know, soccer is probably the, the second priority, where now, you know, soccer is the third. So how do the guys treat it differently? You yeah. know, how do you kind of adapt as a coach to make sure that guys are, you know, coming down from the hill after getting yelled at by drill sergeants all day and, and still having a productive session. So at yeah. that point, you're just hoping as well that you're getting the guys to come down. They're going to be enthusiastic about playing, which a lot of times they were, but sometimes, you know, stylistically, you have to change your, your coaching and, and your, you know, and your criticisms to make sure that, you know, guys aren't being pushed over the edge to a point where, like we said, you know, early on, like the game isn't fun anymore. Yeah. Um, so you're managing like, it's more, it's more as if you're managing players too. It's not just soccer. It's not just a regular college program. Like you really got to get into the mind of your players and know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, you talk about places that, uh, you know, that kids come in and out of, you know, usually you think your, your first year of college is the easiest. You'll, you'll have it in those four years when it comes to stress levels, workload, um, you know, adaptation. Well, I think the first semester of your first year at VMI is the hardest, not just in those four years, but probably any place in the country, you know, bar the, the federal service academies, because you come in right away and there's all these things you have to do. And mm-hmm. um, it, it makes it really hard on top of that, I think, to 
to be a, a collegiate athlete. So that was definitely a, a culture shock for me. And I probably, you know, called you several times a week mm-hmm. being like, you're not going to, you're not going to, you know, even guess what I saw up on the Hill today. So yeah. I, remember, I went to one of your games, you guys played in Philly against St. Joe's and I went, <laughs> you guys lost, but like, it was cool to see, like, you know, it was a competitive game. Like it wasn't like you guys were not competitive in some of these games. It's just, yeah, I mean, I think you got to see at that point, like even um, even though we were probably the the worst program in Division One, you know, the speed of play, the physicality, the the level was still you know considerably high. Um, yeah, for for what it was, like it's not like these guys are bad players. It's just there's so much other stuff going on too. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. so when you went to VMI, was were you looking at Division One as like full time job? Were you trying to get full-time job were you on your path to being like a division one head coach down the road and like why did you leave vmi um so i I think at that point i I just i wanted to be coaching collegiately full time i thought that division one was the best place to do it because you know at that point i thought that was the highest level and i was gonna have the most involvement Mm -hmm. um you're working on a calendar year where you're working with the guys and you're allowed to a lot more often whether that's with the ball without um, and the, I thought the cool thing was like, you know, a, a division one program on the men's side, um, it's, it's allowed to have a maximum of four coaches. So when you take 205 programs, you're talking about, you know, under a thousand assistants, mm-hmm. um, and head coaches in that entire realm. So it kind of felt like a little bit of a, of a fraternity that is, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, the amount of teams is condensed and also, you know, the, the people you're, you're working with is also, uh, you know, in a smaller quantity. So that's something that really fascinated me. Um, so I thought, you know, to stay at that level as long as I could would be great, but you know, it also kind of opened up for me, you know, there's great coaches at every level, um, you know, whether it's division one to grassroots, uh, professionally, but, um, you know, I got a phone call in that December actually after the season had ended and it was from, uh, you know, our head coach at uh, Stevenson, uh, you know, for that one year, Andrew Borlon was the first assistant in the recruiting coordinator at Northern Illinois and, and they wanted a goalkeeping coach and, and someone they could, uh, they could trust. Um, so I, uh, I, once again, I, I moved to the middle of Illinois and in, in at the end of December, early January. Um, and that was really, really where things kind of got going in that sense, because, uh, you know, it was a fully funded, uh, you know, division one program, you know, we're talking about guys now they're, they're looking to, you know, they're aspiring professionals. So you're taking what experience you have and, and trying to, you know, help them with that process. Um, it was a program that was also being rebuilt in a season where they may not have had a winning record, but they beat um, Akron, who was in their conference, who had gone to the national championship that, game, that year against the University of Maryland. So it had these makings of, uh, mm. of a really exciting yeah. uh, you know, program on the cusp. And the great thing as well was um, I had learned so much from, from Borlon, from our time at Stevenson. And one of his big mentors was Ryan Swan, who was the head coach at NIU. So I thought, wow, if I could learn from the source from one of my mentors and, and make that experience kind of my own, that, that would really help my growth and, and my knowledge as well. That's cool. So were you uh, like eager to leave VMI or was it just like this opportunity is too good for my career kind of thing? Yeah, I think a little bit of a mix of both. Mm-hmm. Um, it, once again, it was like, you know, all right, so now I'm moving further away from, you know, my friends and family, what does that look like? But at that point, I think I was just so intrigued of, of, 
of going and having this experience. Um, I, I think I wasn't even thinking about that at that point. I, I probably, I would have lived in a box by, uh, by, by the side of campus. If, uh, you know, if I could, if it wasn't mm. actually so freezing, but, uh, <laughs> but it, it was, it was great from that point, not just from the college aspect, but, um, you know, part of the job requirement was to be the director of a local club. Um, so it was, what was really interesting is you're working, you know, with scholarship athletes, um, you know, aspiring professionals by day. And then at night, you know, I'm going, I'm working with, you know, 10, 11, maybe 13 year olds, you know, high school girls. Yeah. Um, and you just kind of get back down to that, uh, you know, like we said, just making the session fun, making sure people are falling in love with the game. So like that experience for me was, was really interesting. Cause I think that helps it like at the same time you're working with these dudes who are legit soccer players can, adapt to different styles and whatever. And then people who don't quite know the game yet, they're just trying to put it together. That yeah. I, I feel like that helps. Yeah. I think, um, I think you, you learn more about yourself as a coach and that standpoint. And I think the best coaches in our game can effortlessly coach at all levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and they may adjust some things, whether it's their language or, or their style, but they're always getting the message across of, you know, beginning with the end in mind and, and wanting to accomplish something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was never a big believer of, well, you know, I, I coach at this level a lot, so I'm not going to do that. It was like humbling as well. And, and yeah. an opportunity to kind of, you know, try things. Um, you know, like I said earlier, you know, my focus was goalkeeping, but something I had always kind of wanted to step out a little bit more was running, running my own sessions. So it, it became a great sandbox and a think tank where you can you know, try out certain things and yeah. see what works. That's, that's, so you at, at NIU would run the goalkeeper sessions. Did you ever run the full team sessions or were you just with the goalkeepers? And then like did running the U13, U14, did that help you get a, like a tr- easier transition to running a full 11 v 11 team session? Yeah. So, um, basically the, you know, the way it would work out is, is I would plan a goalkeeping session that was kind of in conjunction with what the team was working on. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I go into the office and I'm, I'm in there with, uh, with coach Swan and he says, okay, well, you know, we want to work on, you know, service from wide positions to get and then runners in the box in the attacking third, then, um, you know, the, the probably a counter principle of that for running a session with the goalkeepers would be like, you know, commanding the area, yeah. you know, working on things like crosses. So, Whatever you make them I, look bad and your guys look good. <laughs> yeah. So whatever I was working on with in, in my session, it was to ultimately prepare them for the team session. So when they step in, they're all, they've already done the movements. We've gone over the cues and, and what to expect. So that, it was at that point, I kind of started to have a deeper understanding of, you know, the principles and the counter principles, not just in, you know, in a game, but also from, you know, the goalkeeping to the, the field player environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so Could you I, have- Sorry, Mike, if at that, at that point, could you have stepped in and run like a, a pretty good training session and put it all together with the, the field players as well? Yeah, I think I would have had, you know, a really good idea. But also, I, I think at that point, um, you know, the players are just so intelligent. They're so competitive. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they're so athletic and fast and you know technically sound. I think I could have probably ran a lot of different things and they would have just ran with it. I mean, they were just really mm-hmm. eager to, to do whatever they could. I mean, at that point, you're dealing with guys that they just want to win. Um, like whatever we're doing, whether it's a rondo, whether it's a, you know, a passing exercise, you know, uh, you know, six v six, the guys just want to win. Dude, I um, I tell that to the high school players I coach all the time because sometimes I feel like they they take it easy or whatever. They know they're a starter and they 
it kind of takes some of the, you know, goof around in a rondo, but that that's why I think I took my game to the next level. And that's what I think is important in like establishing a culture for your team is like in rondos, like be the best in a rondo, have the cleanest touch in a passing pattern. Like that kind of stuff goes a long way. So when you yeah. have players like that, it makes coaching easier too. Yeah. Like, so, so these guys, um, you know, they were all, you know, wonderful kids, you know, guys I still have a relationship with today, but when they stepped onto the field, sometimes they would take, you know, they would, uh, you know, take the look of, of, of a different person, you know, a fierce competitor. Yeah. There were several times, you know, in, in sessions at NIU where we maybe have to stop it for a second or guys would come to blows because at that point <laughs> they're not even recognizing it's their team. It's just, I have to beat you. Like you're yeah. my man and I have to beat you. But yeah, I think to your point earlier, Kat, I, I think at that point I was probably, you know, picking up on the vernacular a lot more. And, mm-hmm. and as an assistant, usually um, you're, you're probably trained more at that point to, to work more in the shadows of the head coach. Yeah. So pick out a little thing here and there in, in the smaller picture that might help the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, so I was really encouraged to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think kind of focusing on, on the minute details helped me um, expand my scope of awareness to mm-hmm. then kind of looking at the overall picture. But um I think that that point as well was was really really helpful for my group because you're noticing small things that might make a massive difference. Yeah. So you were talking about like noticing small things. I'm guessing you're talking about in like the full team sense as well. I kind of do that. Like, so there's a head coach at the prep, and then I'm the assistant, and it's most of the time it's just us two, like evaluating games or at training sessions, and like I could definitely tell I would like so Jake the head coach whole you know, do the halftime team talk. Right. And like, while we might be talking about the same things, I'm not as good as, you know, communicating that kind of stuff or, or pointing that stuff out. But what I try to work on is like, I, I'm that guy that has a notebook at the games and writes things down. But like, I try and think of like one or two things that we did well, or that we did poorly, or like how we're transitioning to, to defense or reacting after we lost the ball or something like that. And I think those small details help me, but like the bigger yeah. picture things I'm, not as good at because that's experience and you got to be a better coach for that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think, you know, your theory and your understanding of the game from that point, it only ever increases as you get older. Um, Mm -hmm. So for young guys like us, you want to pick up certainly as many things as you can. Um, Mm -hmm. But one thing that I, that I realized from, from working with Ryan Swan and and, and the rest of the staff, um, one of the critical points, um, you know, not just in coaching, you know, sessions, but, you know, in games as well, uh, you know, you have to have an understanding of, um, of where you want to go at all times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that may change, you know, from game to game in terms of your preparation. But there was always a consistent message um, that Swan, you know, got across about, you know, the mentality and, and the speed of play and, and the way, you know, guys were supposed to play for each other. Um, mm-hmm. So I think kind of fostering that culture and, and watching it kind of take precedent um, was really helpful for me in the sense that, you always want to make sure that the guys are on the same page. And as a staff, you want to make sure that you're on the same page as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I probably at some points I was thinking the same things or maybe not articulating in the same way just because, yeah. you know, you may not have the right verbiage. But I think that the more you're able to spot those things, and I think, you know, a notebook is a brilliant thing to have at any yeah. point in time. Uh, half um, the time I can't even understand my writing, but just like <laughs> me thinking, what can I write down? And then it makes me pay closer attention to things that I would write down. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I completely agree. And, um, you know, at, at that level as well, things are happening so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't pick it up, you may miss it. 
um, yeah. in that instance. But I think it was great as well, you know, to have four coaches on on a, on a, on, a, on the sideline, um, on the bench, and uh, you know, you have four sets of eyes looking at four different things that might be of equal importance. Yeah. Um, so so that was great. So you obviously like learned a lot at NIU. Why did you leave? Like, was like talk talk us through that and what you're learning, yeah. about Rochester. Um, so I never, uh, you know, I never planned to, I wasn't actively looking for other positions um, mm-hmm. at any point in time. Um, you know, I, I loved it at NIU and, uh, you know, would always consider, you know, the opportunity to, you know, to work with those guys again, because they're you know, brilliant guys for me. Um, and, and the players were, were fantastic as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I realized kind of, uh, you get to the kind of that point in, uh, you know, in your career that, uh, you know, you want to make sure that you've refined all your tools as a coach. And I wanted to um, be looked upon more as a well-rounded coach than just a goalkeeping coach. Yeah. Um, And that was my prime responsibility, um, you know, at NIU. So I maybe wasn't being exposed um, sometimes to things like, uh, you know, the rest of the team session or, uh, you know, recruiting or some of the other things that went into, what uh you know what makes the program great um so i got a phone call um about a you know a position opening up at at the university of rochester and uh you know the more i did research and the more i asked around um their their head coach is my boss now chris apple um had been a guy that had well-rounded experiences in in all divisions of the game he had had a you know professional stint in germany um he, you know, is an educator for the United States Soccer Federation. I mean, this is a guy that he's exemplary at his craft. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a lifelong learner, a lifelong teacher. Um, and he, uh, you know, took an interest in, in bringing me to the U of R. And, uh, you know, the level of interest that he expressed and kind of what the position entailed, not just being a goalkeeping coach, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, actively planning team sessions and and actually coaching that way and, and being a real protagonist on, you know, the recruiting efforts and going into the some of the organizational things from a structural perspective that that make a program great yeah um it was just an opportunity that was too good to pass up at also a, a, such a wonderful academic institution yeah um, so i i think uh so pretty clearly niu like they had their stuff together on division one landscape like that program's like staying at the top for a while i'm guessing and rochester's like already at the top and you know you got to keep it there so they have their stuff together Do, so it wasn't so much like going from a bad program to a good one or a good one to a bad one to try to rebuild it. It was like kind of a lateral move, I guess, just like different end goals in mind. Were you thinking I want to be a division three head coach, like in 15 years or in 10 years or something like that? Or is it just like, I think I could learn the most. Uh, Yeah. I think it was, it was mostly about, um, you know, where can, where can I go that, uh, you know, I'm going to be, you know, learning, uh, you know, a, uh, a large amount while also being able to put those things into practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with, uh, with apps, he, he lets me, uh, you know, take the reins of things. And at the same time, I think he's also comfortable with, you know, with letting me fail, but letting me get it wrong. Yeah. And, you know, he'll, he'll be the ones that tell me, but I think you talk about things in, in a training environment, like empowering players. He's someone that, that empowers coaches. Um, so he's, he's constantly in my ear and he'll always be there, you know, with me, you know, after a session, um, you know, to reflect and, and make it as, as best as I possibly can and, and get the right things across. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, 
it from a from a from a move perspective, I wasn't thinking, well, yeah, well, you know, I want to be a, a Division three head coach because I think um, I think you know the the moves now, like you know, the next thing could be anywhere, and, and I hope to be here for a long time, and and I hope for us yeah. to win. But it was at that point, um, the challenge of you are at kind of the pinnacle of one level. How can you motivate yourself to make sure that the program stays at the top of its game, that you stay at the top of your game, that you continue to grow um, while also just taking on more responsibility? Um, That's so cool. now like, yeah. I, I was thinking like a lot of people would just go with the end goal, like I want to be a head coach or I want to make the most money while also coaching. But if you just take it and look at, like we talk about process over results, if you just say, how can I become the best coach and learn the most and like get the best experience? Like it may, it makes sense. And if it sets you up better for the future, then great, but you'll have like the tools and the skills to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, with going in conjunction with that, it's like, you know, as young guys now uh, you want to learn as much mm -hmm. as you possibly can before you maybe mentor someone else. Yeah, and I thought, you know, this is a fantastic opportunity to take on more responsibility while still having that, that learning component to it. Um, so these were intangibles for me that I thought, um, I thought were going to be, uh, you know, great for, for not just my, my growth as a coach, but also, you know, my growth as a, as a mentor to, uh, to student athletes. Mm. My light turned off over there, so I went to switch it on. But I saw that you need some light from over here. Yeah, my my computer's running out of battery too. I'm running on E, but we got to finish. Uh, so, so obviously, like I think you're, you've told us a lot about like your journey and what you learned. What about from a goalkeeping specific perspective? Uh, what do you look for? And if you're watching a goalie whether it's recruiting or you're just like watching them on TV, how do you, what do you look for in a goalie and what do as regular soccer fans like me and Chad, non-goalies, how, how does the view differ? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's such a great question. Uh, I used to, <laughs> I used to watch the, you know, the goalkeeper, you know, when we, when we watched the Premier League, maybe on, on the TV, I'd probably watch a lot of what the goalkeeper did as a younger guy in possession. So whether that's distributing the ball, making a save, you know, claiming a cross, all those components. And I think now I probably watch the goalkeeper more out of possession than yeah. I do in possession. So a big thing with that, I would say, is positioning. Mm -hmm. um, so are they constantly reevaluating their start position? Um, are they doing things in front of them in terms of, you know, commands and efficient um, – effective actions to yeah. you know, reorganize the defense, reorganize the shape so that they, you know, they don't have to you know, deal with problems later on, whether that's around the box or outside the box. Um, but yeah, I would say positioning is the biggest thing. And that goes into whether I'm watching a professional or a prospective student athlete um, mm -hmm. is the goalkeeper constantly reevaluating, reassessing their position. So is that, um, sorry. Uh, sorry. So if you're, let's say you're recruiting, do you look at someone that might have like, the physical tools can make a great save. Maybe has pretty good distribution, but like his positioning needs work. Is that something you could, you could fix? It's, it's certainly something you can fix. Um, at least for me, I just think the, the positioning side of the game, um, I think that shows that someone is constantly engaged. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and you want players that are constantly engaged for 90 minutes. 
And I think, uh, you know, when you start to realize that, like we said before, the little details can make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being in a step, you know, in a step over or a few steps over in the wrong spot in a game throughout the flows of it can, can compromise, you know, your ability to have success, you know, when the ball comes to you. So those are things that just tell me the player is engaged, the player is focused. Yeah. Um, and of course there's other things that, that come after that, that I'll look at that. Well, that's, that's probably the first thing I'll, I'll look for. Yeah. That's interesting because a lot of times we'll look at a guy, someone, you know, takes a shot and he makes a great save and we're like, yeah, he's such a good goalkeeper, but like maybe he made a good save because he was out of position or maybe he messes up a lot and just makes the one good save or, you know, and I think as a soccer, like community soccer fans, we're getting better at watching goalkeepers distribution. I mean, sometimes it's easy to, to see a ball that he clips over the top that hits the striker's chest and he's got hold up play. But sometimes I think like uh, someone will play a center back or they'll play the ball as a center back, but he's under pressure immediately. Like, that's probably not good distribution. Yeah. So I, I think you bring up a good point. And, and Chad, just, you know, being a, a current player as well, I'd love to kind of get your perspective on this, on, on the evolution of the position. But the next thing I probably look at, you know, you talk about things like making a brilliant save, but I think the goalkeeper that I would always want in my team and, and a team of others is how easy does he make the, the simple, the simple saves look. So, you know, like, you know, catches front smothers, things like that, like the, the balls that he probably should be saving, like how efficiently, how well does he do that? So, I mean, Chad, I mean, just to get your perspective, because I'm so curious about, you know, the, the relationship that field players have with, with the goalkeepers in their team. But um, do you, do you always figure like you want the guy on your team in in six aside, that's going to always do the little things, right? Hold on. I'll be right back. I'm going to go grab my laptop charger. You guys answer that one. Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, like uh, a goal who's always um, kind of doing like what he needs to do, like uh, if he's uh, always communicating and stuff like that is like someone someone that like helps me out as a, as a player, you know. Like we have a really good goalie on our team. So like I know like he's reliable back there and like he'll be able to make the saves like when they come and he'll be able to communicate like um, be able to tell the people in front of him because I can't see behind me playing center mid. I can't really see behind. So when he's uh, communicating that stuff to me, like that helps me out a lot. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like, I think, I think sometimes we, we look at like the, the great save and we think it's, it's the end all be all, but there are so many other things that a player you know, does in a game that, that goes beyond that. I mean, even just like going to another position, I mean, you're not always banging in goals and, 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 you know, providing assists, you know, you're covering the ground, you're putting in tackles, you're breaking up play, you're, you're organizing things in front of you. So I think like making sure that people have a deeper appreciation for some of those other intangibles that maybe they don't look as, um, you know, they're, they're not as you know easy on the eye, um, but they're just as important, if not, you know, more important. Um, so, yeah, I would, you know, just to, just to reiterate, I, I think, you know, how, you know, the technical aspect is important, but like how well do they do the little things? And I think, you know, that goes for every player. Um, so that's probably the, the second consideration I'd, I'd have, you know, whether it's, it's watching someone, um, you know, on television or, or, or watching a prospect, um, that's probably the second big component. So I think the making of those two things there, I think you, you probably at that point can envision that, uh, 
you know, there's a lot of other things that are probably at that point in icing on the cake that, you know, take a good player to a, a, a great player. So I missed – Sorry, I had to – my laptop, just like the battery just gets sucked out of it for some reason. Um, so I missed that little piece. But I heard you talk about like little things. And I noticed that when, when you watch someone who thinks they're a good goalie compared to someone who's like knows the goalkeeping position. Like with you when you played, I didn't realize it till now, but like you're – the ball comes and you hold it, right? It doesn't bounce. You don't like just hit it away. Or like, like little things like that make a big difference too. Yeah. So, I mean, you're touching on something that's like the elite level, I think you, and you kind of get into that, like that tactical understanding. Uh, you know, some guys think that, you know, goalkeepers parry the ball in certain areas by mm. chance. Yeah. You know, they, they do that by design. There's a tactical and there's a technical component to that. You know, I mean, parrying the ball away from danger or, or holding the ball, knowing that runners are, are coming in the box. Like yeah. these are things that, you know, separate the good from the great. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, because sometimes know, there'll be a shot and you'll be like, oh, great initial save, but you really should have hit that one out or held on to that or smothered it. But now these guys are just putting it back in the mixer and someone comes and finishes. Yeah. Um, and, so I think that, I mean, that's a good point as well. I mean, to go along with the technical aspect, I mean, guys that look to catch the ball mm-hmm. um, and know that they can, I mean, that is such an invaluable tool because you're talking about not just, you know, uh, you know, saving your team, you know, from, from dangerous moment, but you're also talking about a completely switch of switch of possession. Yes. So if a goalkeeper makes a catch, you go from defending to attacking, you know, there's yeah. probably an aspect of that where, uh, you know, that, you know, the group can, can transition efficiently, but also, I mean, if you're a team that's maybe defending for four or five minutes in a certain kind of block at a time and you're on the back and having a goalkeeper that allows you to, you know, cease defending yeah. and, and kind of start that transitional moment is massive. Yeah, definitely. It's something like we don't really think about, but when you say it, it, it makes total sense. Yeah. Um, the goalie's the quarterback. <laughs> wow. That's very insightful, Chad. <laughs> QB1, Mike Tringali. I love, I love that. He's like a Peyton Manning back there. Uh, so my last question, and then Chad, I don't know if you have any extras. Like, do you think – is there a certain age where goal, goalkeepers need – a goalkeeper specific coach can they still get better just maybe you pair off the goalkeepers and they go like do a warm-up by themselves and then you just let them hop into team drills probably like an old very old way of coaching yeah so um so i'll answer kind of that first that first part and then i'll i'll kind of expand to the other ones i want to see for for everyone at home and even you know the two catalana brothers in this in this podcast if they know uh uh so i i recently read a you know a report from uefa um, mm-hmm. which is, of course, the, you know, the governing body of soccer in Europe. And um, at the last recent European Championships of the 45 goalkeepers that played, um, can you guess how many of those goalkeepers were playing the position full-time um, before the age of 12? Five. Uh, that would be my guess. Uh-huh. Wow. So you guys are actually way closer than they thought there were four. So four goalkeepers yeah. in that setup we're playing the position full-time for the age of 12. So when you um, say that, it, it makes sense because they're going to be good with their feet. And th- before, like, I just want to get on a rant that, like, at, at my youth – at my, like, local youth club where I coach, there's, like, you know, there was somebody talking about, like, goalie training for U8s. It's like, come on. Like, really? We need a goalkeeper? Yeah. Like, let them play soccer and have fun and get good with their feet and understand the game. They don't need a goalkeeper coach at U8s. 
So, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I mean, like, and that brings me back to, you know, when I was in, in uh, Illinois, excuse me, and, uh, you know, I was working with, like, a U11 boys team. You know, mm-hmm. there's so many guys that seem like, oh, I, I want to play goalie. I want to play goalie this yeah. half. And it's <laughs> exactly. important, I think, like, at that age, like, everyone plays every position. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't restrict guys to anything. If, if a parent says, you know, my, my son is a goalie full-time, like, he's the goalie of the team. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's going to enrich his soccer education and maybe even expand his knowledge and his enjoyment level if he's open to you know playing other positions. Yeah. So this just doesn't happen at grassroots. This happens at the pro level too. And I mean, um, you know, I know she's not playing anymore, but I'm pretty sure even a player like, um, like Hope Solo, and you know, who's a prominent goalkeeper in the national team for many, many years, I don't think she even played, you know, goalkeeper until late high school or early on in, in, in the college ranks. She was a center forward. So uh, yeah. I you know, hate when things people- change specialized too early i think the top european teams they'll, they'll have that right because they see a player who might be good or like a player who's athletic um jake the head coach of the prep he was telling me that somewhere in england where he used to live they they would have the academy team would have a uh, a meeting with the parents but next to the door they would have a, a measuring stick so they the parents would walk in and they would look at how tall the mom and dad were to see, to try and project like how tall the kid was. So like these kids might be 12 and then they'd be like, all right, it's a tall dad. Let's, you know, let's make him a goalie. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that makes it even like all the more interesting now. I mean, there, there's an older story about probably one of the best goalkeepers of all time, Dino Zoff. And Dino know. Zoff was, was turned away in Italy from all the prominent academies, you know, AC Milan, Inter, Juventus, because um, he was only about 5'11". Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he actually ended up, you know, being something of a late bloomer. But he had this really prominent career, and he ended up winning, you know, Italy the World Cup at the age of forty, and, and playing for <laughs> for Juventus. But it's like, yeah, I mean, there's only so many projections you can make, and mm-hmm. and some of these models are only as good as the data you put into them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, so I would say to kind of expand on that note, like with, I think players shouldn't really be specialized until maybe about you know fourteen years of age. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in certain cases, maybe even later, but, um, you know, I can speak from my own experience. I mean, I probably didn't start playing goalkeeper full time until maybe just, you know, a few months before my 14th birthday. That's pretty um, good. Though. Like, yeah, you know, like so. it's funny when I think we were talking about it before, like either when I first met you or like when, when everyone at Stevenson first met you, they thought you were like a sick, like number 10, like you, you really didn't look like a goalkeeper. We all thought you were like a field player or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think I came in well with like my match fit top and I had like these white predators maybe. They're like turf predators with the tongues hanging out of them. And everyone was like, oh, this guy looks like a, you know, a free kick specialist. Yeah, like this guy can really strike a ball. <laughs> yeah, and being left-footed as well. I think no one cared after they realized I was a goalkeeper that I was left-footed. But at that I, point... I uh, still feel like we could put you at, at a 10, at number 10 and you could do all right. Yeah, uh, you know, play between the lines now yeah. and anticipate. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I mean... Like a modern-day Hamas. <laughs> <laughs> to expand on uh to expand on that i mean so that last part you were saying um uh so so are you talking about more like what like goalkeeping training should be looking like now or how it, it differentiates was that uh oh so i was asking like can goalkeepers improve without goalkeeper training like obviously they might get bigger or more athletic and they might face a lot of shots in like a team scrimmage or a small sided game but do they need to be doing goalkeeper specific things? Let's say like a high school level. Cause for a lot of times it's me and Jake and 
the goalkeeper coach on the staff is he's the JV coach. So he might not be around. And I don't think we've run enough goalkeeper specific sessions. Now, sometimes it's hard. And when you get into the flow of the season and, and all that stuff, but I, I feel like we've done the goalkeepers a disservice because we haven't given them enough sessions by themselves. So, so that's a great, that's a great, uh, that's a hotly contested topic. And there's probably 10 other podcasts, um, you know, around the world that maybe discuss this at some point or another, but um, it's in my view, um, at least, I mean, if you're going from the grassroots level and you're talking about like younger kids and you want to make it fun, I think there just has to be the technical components. So yeah. catching, diving, um, positioning, you know, hand position, uh, set position, <laughs> and, you know, these are foundations, building blocks to anything, um, anything from any position. Um, but I think as you kind of get more into, you know, the higher levels now, both, you know, club soccer, high school soccer, college soccer, professional, Mm -hmm. um you're gonna run into you know certain challenges maybe it's field space maybe it's a coach that doesn't you know know the position as well Mm -hmm. um you know maybe it's it's a it's a lack of um equipment or time time is probably Mm -hmm. the biggest one because Mm -hmm. coaches want the goalkeepers to jump in at a moment's notice um but i would say now um at least something we try to do at the college level and i think you'd see the higher levels of of high school age boys and girls, um, you know, going into, you know, being younger adults, um, the, the responsibility of, of the goalkeeping coach in a lot of, in a lot of senses is to, you know, paint pictures of what the goalkeeper is going to see on a match day. Um, so how realistic can you make your sessions to the game? How well can you prepare them for what they might face in the rest of the session? And always making sure that they're, they're working in conjunction with, uh, with the rest of the staff. Yeah. So I think you always want to focus on a topic that mm-hmm. is going to not just prepare them for the session, but also is going to be prominent in a game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we see, uh, you know, with the evolution of social media now with mm-hmm. Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, you see a lot of things that aesthetically look really nice. So the yeah. goalkeepers working on the beach and going through yeah. hurdles and ladders and he's diving into the water and parrying a ball, you know, 40 <laughs> yards and, and it, and it looks fantastic. And, you know, maybe, you know, there's a fitness component to that, mm-hmm. but you know, I look at that and I say, is this person going to be doing all these on a Saturday or a Sunday? Yeah. And I'd say, you know, at that point, probably not. So I think, you know, social media has helped with maybe prioritizing some of the things that are important, but also kind of exposing more, um, what holistic approaches can be taken to, to the position and training as well. Holistic approach. That's a buzzword right there. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of similar to like, you see a lot of people on YouTube or TikTok or whatever, they post like soccer training videos. And like, I'll post some of, the, some of them to my TikTok too, but like a lot of the times they're not realistic at all. And there's one thing, like you spend time with the ball, no matter what, you'll probably get better. You'll probably get sharper. So if you spend time, like someone punting a ball to your face and like hitting it up in the air, like your reactions will get better, but like it it might not like really translate. So it's, it's hard to say like that doesn't work because if you do it enough, it'll probably make you a little bit better, but it's not like really what you should be doing. And, uh, right. And of course I'm, I'm not knocking, um, you know, those sessions at all. You know, those are great people and and they're impressive for sure. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I, I guess my, my question would be is, you know, how often are those people doing that in a game is my yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the, that's the big takeaway. I say, I think you want to work not just as a player, but as a coach, you want to work on the things that guys are going to be exposed to um, the most in, in a game setting. So, you know, you prepare them the best way possible. So, um, so for- oh, sorry. Uh, so 
here's another thing. If you're a goalkeeper, like, do you go through a warm-up of, like, catch and hold, maybe, like, swat away or something, like, get, like, technical work out of the way and then transition it into, like, a bigger, like, game-realistic thing, or is it just game-realistic from the start? Yeah, so that's an excellent question. So the, the way, we, you know, we, we break it up is we'll usually do a technical activation, um, mm-hmm. and the activation will prepare them for the movements that they'll be doing, like, when the session kind of expands itself. Um, so if it's something like, you know, catching or diving or dealing with services, you know, from, from an angle or, or around the 18 yard box, the activation will be kind of a smaller component of that. Um, but ten, uh, what I you know, usually tend to do is, you know, kind of work backwards. So you have an idea of what you want the session to look like at the end, um, mm-hmm. when you put all the components and, you know, complexities into it and work backwards from that. So that helps me, um, you know, plan out an activation that isn't just going to, you know, physically, um, you know, immensely prepare the goalkeeper for, for the work we're about to be doing, but also allows them to start to kind of get the understanding of, of what they're going to be seeing, uh, you know, as we progress. So the, the words um, that we use with each other to reinforce good habits will remain the same mm-hmm. um, and allows us to progress from that. So if, you know, if at, at the end of, uh, at the end of the session, if the last um, activity is, um, you know, dealing with crosses and I've, I've gotten the mannequins out and we're going to be doing services from wide positions. Um, I would like the activation to make sure, uh, I would like the activation to have a lot of, um, you know, catching, you know, above the head, mm-hmm. um, making sure that, uh, you know, they're going up with one leg to protect themselves and coming down with two, um, you know, getting the ball at their highest point. So getting kind of that, that activation from a, from a, from like a, a physiological perspective, um, but also making sure that we're, we're going through the terms that, that they're going to be seeing and, and dealing with. That's similar um, to, uh, I think, a lot of higher level training sessions for like good teams. You see sometimes teams have their own passing patterns that they do like every practice or whatever. But a lot of times I think in like the higher level trainings, it's like a pattern related to how they want to receive the ball, like their body position and stuff. And then maybe going into like, a smaller game with like some defenders or something and then expanding and spending. So it seems like goalkeeping is like the same way. And like the soccer people have figured out that's like psychologically the best way to, and physically to prepare the player for. And exactly, exactly. And I think with that point, Kat, um, and I mean, Chad, as someone that's been actively taking part in sessions, like correct us if we're wrong here, but I think like when you go through the activation, it's something that's a lot more controlled. And then as you expand into like the more complex activities, it looks a lot more like soccer and there's probably, uh, you know, more variation. So different things can happen. How do you respond, um, you know, to such a stimulus and, and being open as well to, to dealing with different things. Um, so that's definitely something like I've kind of take away, uh, taken away rather in, in my experience. But I mean, do, do you feel as a player that there's, that's a certain model that, um, you know, that, that guys respond to um, in abundance? I'm giving you big words. He might not, he might not understand what you're saying. big words. <laughs> might stun me a little bit, but uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I guess. What, like in, uh, in dumbed down words, Chad, like, do you start with the the last, I guess, activity of a training session? If you work backwards, do you think it all, like, links up? Yeah, yeah, it, it should. It should be like that, I feel like. And, um, 
Because we've all been in bad training sessions where here's a drill, here's another drill, here's another drill, just go do it. And it's like, that doesn't do anything. It shouldn't be just like all over the place. Like it should have a main focus and then lead up to something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Goalie's a different position than everything else, but it should be trained the same way that like field players are being trained. So like goalies should be trained the same way and then have a focus at the end, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, at its simplicity, I think that's just spot on because um, at the same time, you, you want it to look like soccer as much as it possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's ultimately what, you know, what it is, you know, as cliche as that might sound, but it's, it's also, you know, preparing the guys as much as possible. So, I mean, that's a big question we ask ourselves as a staff at U of R, like what we're playing right now, like, does it look like soccer? Like, yeah. is it directional that's, and, and are there things that, you know, are there components to it that make it realistic? That's honestly something that I think could be another separate topic in another day, but like, I see a lot of like, I think older guys or maybe just guys who aren't up to speed. I don't know. Like they, they give their players drills, whether goalkeeper or field player. And it's like master these drills or get good at these drills or this skill set, but it's not in a soccer game. So like they might pass from this cone to this cone and this cone to this cone. And like, they might get better at receiving a ball and passing with their right foot. But like, if you can't really put that into a game, it doesn't really look like soccer. So it's like a time and place for it sometimes, I think. But, like, I talked to you about, like, a non-directional possession game, just a big square and playing possession. Like, I think that's okay. It gets the players going. You get moving. You just get touches on the ball. But, like, if that's a bulk of your practice, like, it's not good. Yeah. I mean, at that point, you're talking about something that's probably more of an activation. It's getting the mind and the body mm-hmm. and the team prepared, you know, to, to pass and move and, and play at a certain tempo. But I would say, yeah, if that's um, – if that's like going to be your main activity, I think um, you're going to leave the players not only wanting more, but also kind of leaving them questioning, well, what was the focus of today? Yeah. So That's cool. I think, uh, do you guys have anything else? I mean, we've been on for almost two hours now. <laughs> Chad, you got anything? No. Talk too much? Yeah. All right, Mike, you got anything else? No, just thanks for, uh, thanks for having me, guys. I'm a massive fan. Yeah. Massive fan of the podcast. We're, we're trying to get some um, merch soon, so we'll send yeah. some your way. And you know, love to, uh, love to, uh, you know, come back at a later point in time. Yeah. But no, thanks for thanks for having me. And, and uh, so you're the first guest, but like you should just be a regular on the show, whether it's like once a month or every few episodes or something. Because we have a few guys, a few other people who could be guests, but like you could just come on whenever, and like it, it just fits, <laughs> it gels, you know. Honored to be an associate member for this group. Oh, what did you say, Chad? I said you could talk championship. <laughs> you're, you're a big championship guy. Loves the championship. Come on, you swans. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we we got to appreciate uh, the football league in general, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Little uh, Matt Miazga, Cameron Carter-Vickers action. Exactly, exactly. Some Jeff Cameron. All right, cool. So I'm going to – that's going to be it for this episode, so – Hopefully, uh, if everyone's listening, kind of give us reviews, you know, hit us up with some questions. I actually have some good questions on TikTok that we can answer maybe next episode or something. So maybe, maybe it's time for another Q&A. Hopefully, we got some goalkeepers out there or we educated some non-goalkeepers. So that was awesome. Or maybe we see, made some goalkeepers. 
Yeah, maybe I'm a field player, but I might just have a second career as a goalkeeper. Lovely. <laughs> All right. Peace, guys. All right. Bye. Episode 13. Bye.